Welcome to Ali and Pacero with our friend James Ball. We're back in our studio in the basement after <laughs> I feel like a gypsy broadcaster or something. It's like we're never in the same place twice, right? And you just sold your house. So I in did. a few weeks, we're not even going to have this. We're going to have a, another location. I did. To, to you go. know, I think we can go. The house has a neat little garden in back and a oh. sunroom. So from the sunroom in the garden. We can do it. We can do that. Once the weather gets warmer, it's not 38 degrees outside. It's, it's cold this morning. <laughs> it's it's cold. beautiful, but it's cold, cold this morning. So welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, last week, I did a solo show where I spent about 45 minutes or so just talking about the Georgia voting law and uh, posted some things on Facebook, a lot of comments. I got comments back from some of my friends that I want to address so I can fill you in on that. But James, you also took a look at it. You weren't here last week, but can you right. give us your take? So as I was listening to your discussion or uh, the last week's show, I was kind of like, ah, Alan, maybe this isn't the thing we want to touch. I mean, there there have been a lot of instances of, of voter suppression, especially in the South. And like, I don't know if this is something that we should be, we should be fighting against, but I started looking into it more. I I, I saw what you did, like you know, Control F for water to find the the water thing that that. And this is you know one of the right. one of the Democratic talking points has been, oh, you can't give water to people in line. This is so unfair. Well, I mean, if you actually read the law, you can. It just has to be done by the poll workers and not you know campaign staff with right. their campaign shirts on and their candidate's <laughs> name on the bottle. Right. Like that's what was that was was not allowed. If the the poll workers and poll station absolutely it even says they can like it explicitly states in right. the law that they that they can provide water so i was right. like wow there's more to this and so um i was down in grants pass uh this past week and kind of my wife and i's uh routine is to listen to some joe rogan on the way back and forth oh, yeah. this is about a four-hour drive and his podcasts are usually about three to three and a half hours so that gets us most of the way he does three to three and a half hours and he publishes like four a week Wow. It's ridiculous. That's like Lars Larson. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's ridiculous the amount of content this guy puts out. But um, anyway, he had Dan, Dan Crenshaw on, who's oh, a yeah. Republican congressman from, from Texas, uh, former Navy SEAL, the guy with the eye patch, if you're yep. not familiar. And uh, they talked a lot about the, the Georgia election and made some really interesting points um, about this whole thing. I mean, one thing, so even even Joe Biden came out and said had made this big press conference, you know, official statement talking about how it um, reduced the hours allowed for voting. The Washington Post then fact-checked this and gave it four Pinocchios, which yeah. is absolutely untrue. I mean, what the law did is it had said, and this is for early voting only. It's just an example of one of the, the lies that the, that the Democrats are, are telling the, the law itself originally said for early voting, it has to be open. The polling stations have to be open during business hours. Mm -hmm. And so you assume that's 9 to 5. But what this law did is it clarified. It said 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it also set that as a minimum. Any poll station is allowed to expand those hours as they see fit. And also, it only applied to early voting. So right. day of voting, totally not related. Right. But the president of the United States comes out and and makes this statement about how it's like like not allowing people during their day jobs to go vote after work and how this is, you know, new Jim Crow law and blah blah blah. And you know, Biden was supposed to be different, right? He was supposed to be a president for all Americans and he was supposed to be, you know, a return to normalcy, and it turns out all he's doing is continuing this uh this pattern of lying to the American people. And, you know, I understand why people are so frustrated with, with, uh, with politicians because he does, he barely gets called out for it. You know, the Washington Post, like I said, fact check him, but you'd have to, it's, if you Google Biden fact check, it's like, right. it's on page two of Google. Like nobody's, nobody's calling him out for this. Um, so that's one of the things that, that yeah. Crenshaw brought no, up. And what I w did, and I did it last week, but I think it bears repeating. Those of you that haven't lived in an East Coast city, an East Coast state, you don't realize that they are still primarily, you go to the polling place mm -hmm. on voting day mm -hmm. to vote. 
the whole thing of vote by mail, absentee ballots, alternative voting, that whole thing, it's not like it is in the West. It isn't, it certainly isn't like it is in Oregon. So it, it, imagine in Georgia, up until 2020, 90 plus percent of the votes are cast in person. Mm-hmm. And an absentee ballot is really an absentee ballot. Right. Right. I'm going to be overseas and I can't get to the poll. So I'm going to request one and they're going to send it to me and I'm going to send it back in and my vote's going to get counted. In 2020, um, if you start going through counties in Georgia, there were multiple counties where more ballots were cast alternatively than cast in person. Many, many counties. Mm-hmm. They don't have the infrastructure to deal with that. They don't have the infrastructure to deal with validating a majority of absentee and alternative ballots. The whole concept of a drop box. Why do you need a drop box? Well, you need a drop box if you have alternative voting. If you're going to the polling place, you don't, you don't go to the polling machine and print out a ballot and put it in a drop box. So the whole, thought of drop boxes was not covered in their law. In fact, they didn't have drop boxes until 2020. 2020 rolls out. They throw each individual county with a bunch of different rules, just throws drop boxes out there mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. issues ballots, issues ballots on requests. Sometimes it ships them. Sometimes it shipped them to everybody. It was just a mess. So this law was meant to sort of bring some order to the mess. And, oh, by the way, the state legislature is the group that certifies the election. It's their butt on the line Mm -hmm. to certify this election. It's not the counties. Right, right. So the whole thing, when you read the law and you go through this, I acknowledge that a Republican legislature probably wrote this new law certainly not to... To hurt the Republicans, right? Right. But it is absolutely not as cast in the media that they are no. ripping voting rights away from, from voters. Yeah. And every single talking point, like that's just one of them that it's, that it shortened voting hours, completely false, was fact checked by the, by the Washington Post. President Biden himself was fact checked as being, you know, <laughs> that's, that's their scale is one to four, four being absolutely untrue. Um, you know, so many things that they they were they were talking about the uh, the ID laws, um, right. like the premise is from the left is that there are minority communities that have a harder time getting ballots or, or getting IDs, and therefore it makes it harder for them to vote. Okay, let's take that premise at face value. If there is a group of minority people who do not have IDs, let's get them IDs, right? <laughs> Where is the democratic proposal to go find those people and get them IDs? Um, you, you don't just need an ID for voting. You need it for everything. <laughs> you need right. it to get a job. You need it right. to open a bank account. You need it to interact with society. Like this is a problem. If there is a good, large group of people that do not have access to, to government IDs, that is a problem. Oh, and here's another thing. Why don't we stop charging people for IDs? Right. You know? Make yeah. it, make it, you go down to the DMV, you sign your paper and, you know, why That's are we pretty. charging, why are we charging $45 for this thing that is totally, you know, if this is Jim Crow 2.0, let's remove the barriers to getting an ID and stop charging people for it like there are simple but but that's not on the democratic agenda the democratic agenda is not let's make it easier to get ids and like let's go let's go track down these people to make sure that they have an id on them it's it's just they they care about voting once every four years and and that's it and so like it doesn't follow logically if this is such a problem why aren't we fixing the problem? Why is there no no pathway by the Democratic Party to fix this supposed problem? We've got to come back and t- we'll take a break right now. I want to come back and talk about IDs. You're on a very interesting subject. This is Ali and Pacero with our friend James Paul. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 
503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash portland. Welcome back to Alley and Pissero. I'm Alan Alley, and I'm here with my friend James Ball today. We're talking about the Georgia voting law. <clears throat> James brought up a really interesting point on IDs and why aren't they free. When I worked in the governor's office, this is a long time ago, <laughs> is when they first came out with the Real ID Act and mm-hmm. that we were going to have to upgrade our driver's licenses to basically passports, right? That, that it has right. all the same sort of rigor that a passport has. And the Department of Motor Vehicles came in and said, oh, oh boy, this is going to be super hard. We're going to need all new computer systems. We're going to need all these people. We're going to need all this budget. We also had 20 years, basically, to do this. Well, they like, at the time they did yeah. it, it was like, oh. okay, in October you have to implement oh, this. Okay. And they all said, oh, no, 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 no way, no how, no, you know, impossible, hundreds of millions of dollars, all this stuff. And I remember saying to the governor, look, they're turning our driver's license into a passport. I think passports are a good thing. I think everybody should have a passport because I think it encourages you to venture outside the United States. Mm-hmm. So I said, why don't we just pay for people to get passports? That hmm. Oregon just says, yep, if you live in Oregon, you get a passport for free. And we're not going to take a need to you federal government and make our driver's license into your passport we're going to push this whole thing back on you and flood your system with right. 4.2 million oregonians <laughs> clamoring for passports right yeah and i remember doing it at a meeting and everybody looks at me like he's completely off his rocker but <laughs> i i actually think we would have spent less money. We wouldn't need all this infrastructure. We would have been able to push back on the federal government and provide something to Oregonians that's better than a real ID. Because your mm-hmm. real ID isn't going to get you into uh, Japan. No. Right? No. It's, it, it, it's completely redundant to your passport. I think it makes it harder to to fake, harder to duplicate. Is yeah. is was part of the the value proposition for the real ID? It 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 does. the The biggest burden was verifying all the all the background and and. Uh, but yeah, that's that's another thing that you can't do if you don't have a driver's license or government ID. Is you can't get on a plane. You can't even fly, you know, to California without an ID. So, <laughs> like, I don't think if you this, can buy a gun. Well, definitely right? not. I can't buy a gun. But like the way the Democrats are making this sound is that there's this huge group of minorities who are unable to get an ID. So first of all, I think that that is pretty um, insulting to black people that they somehow can't figure out the system that everybody else can figure out. And second of all, that you know, this is a, such a huge problem. If it's such a huge problem, let's fix the problem. But there is no... There's no plan. There's no nothing to get these people IDs. Well, and it's the, the difference is uh, Republicans want every citizen to be able to vote. Mm-hmm. It seems like Democrats want every resident to be able to vote. And and I and look, I I I understand why they would, um, but. You're absolutely right. I mean, to get a bank account, you need an ID. To get yeah. a driver's license, you need an ID. Um, I don't know what you need to get to get a job. Food yeah. stamp. Well, to get a job, you certainly need an ID. Right. I don't know what you need to get food stamps, but I would imagine for any government service, you need an ID. You need an ID. <laughs> right. So if there's this group, big group of people who need IDs, let's get them IDs. Let's right. get them IDs. But. I mean, the, the, then it goes to, well, this probably isn't really a problem. There probably isn't this giant group of people without IDs because nobody's talked about it. There's Nobody's clamoring for it. Um, it's not like homelessness where we talk about it all the time, even though no one's doing anything. At least we're complaining about it. Um, this, yeah. this, only, this is only complained about once, whenever Republicans try to enact voter ID laws, um, that there's this group of people that doesn't have IDs and is going to suffer. Um, 
which I, I think is I think is false. I don't think that that's I don't, I don't have a study, but I don't think there's a study that's been done to, to try to because you'd have to find these people. <laughs> you'd have to and, find people and without once, IDs. <laughs> once you find them, get them IDs <laughs> instead of just doing a study. You know, it's, anyway, it's literally beyond imagination, and you're absolutely right. Just make it free. So. There was. There was something when I, again, when I worked in the governor's office that, um, access to the system where the government posts jobs. So I forgot what it's called, but the government has a system where they post jobs and then contractors can go onto that system and look at the jobs and figure out which ones they want. Access to that system was a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hundred bucks a year. So Hoffman Construction. Right. They don't even know that there's a fee. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. But your little garage door business, you'd kind of scratch your head and go, I wonder if that $100 a year is going to be worthwhile for me for the off chance that I might be able to find a government job. Yep. Right? Yep. Small and minority businesses were part of my portfolio. And when I heard about this, I went to the Department of Administrative Services and I said, Guys, this is ridiculous. If I've got this little tiny business and I sweep job sites, there are little companies that do nothing but do that. Yeah. That $100 is very material to me. And it's not material to the... To Hoffman. But, yeah. To Hoffman or to the budget of the state of Oregon. Yep. We need to drop this. And you would have thought that I was saying we need to, you know, cut the number of days of school. I mean, the whole place goes crazy, and it was it was beyond my imagination. I don't think they changed it. I had the governor lined up with me. We probably would have had to run a bill to change this stupid fee. But that's exactly the kind of thing that the government could do if they really want to make things more accessible. Yep. Fines and fees. Fines and fees are the way that the government keeps keeps people poor, keeps small companies small. You know, it's like a speeding ticket. You know, if you're a millionaire and you're driving, you know, 20 over the speed limit and you get a $200 ticket, you, whatever, you write the check and you get on with your life. But if you're, if you're poor, that $200 means a lot. Yeah. So, and, and I think there's some Scandinavian companies, countries that actually speeding tickets are a percent of income or percent of wealth or something like that, which is interesting because then you can, <laughs> these, I remember a story from years ago where this millionaire got a speeding ticket and it was two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, hey, that if if the intent is to stop people from speeding, you know, maybe that's a better way to do it. But um, yeah, fines and fees because it's it's the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, business, business license is the same way. Like the amount of money that I have, the percent of revenue that I have yeah. to pay to update my business license compared to Hoffman totally. is incredible. Yeah, totally, and. and People don't think about it that way, and and they need to do more of that. It, it's well, I told you the story on here before that I failed to reconcile my TriMet tax. Oh yeah, because I was new business and didn't recognize, realize this is something you had to do. I paid the tax. I just didn't submit the form reconciling it and making sure right. that I that the government knew that I paid it. It was like a nine dollar tax. The fine <laughs> for not paying my nine dollar tax was $200. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think they ever gave it back to me. I, I contested it. They said it was going to be fine to give me my money back, but I don't think they ever did. No. Um, I, it's just, but that's the type of thing. Like $200, again, $200 to a big company. Well, first of all, co- big company has a team of lawyers who's going to make sure you, you submit all your forms on time. Yes. But little old me, not having done this before and, you know, not dealing with <laughs> this particular government bureaucracy, um, I missed one. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I missed a form that I was supposed to fill out. I paid my taxes. I just didn't fill out the form saying I paid my taxes or reconciling. Right. $200 fine for a $9 tax. So we've all run into that. I, I, I've been doing this for a long time, starting and growing businesses. And I tell people it is way, way more difficult now. Not, not that it's more difficult. The markets aren't harder to access. The internet has changed all that. The ways that you can access people, the Google AdWords and everything that you can do online to target customers and kickstart. There's a lot of things that weren't available when I first started. But the government regulations and the burden of meeting them and the administrative overhead is 10, 20 times 
what it was. We've got to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Ali and Pacero with James Paul. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. This is Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball on a beautiful sunny Sunday here in Oregon. Uh, we're talking about the Georgia elections and a bunch of other things, but I wanted to get back to the Georgia elections because I had a friend that read our post on the Facebook page and was very thoughtful and sent me this link to Microsoft's statement on mm-hmm. the Georgia elections. And, uh-huh. and, she, and she said, I basically agree with Microsoft. Microsoft says a bunch of nice things about everybody needs to be able to vote. We don't want to restrict anybody from voting. I, I buy all that. That's mm-hmm. great. And then they go right into restrictions on voting drop boxes. Georgia's law requires that every county have secure drop. And they go into the whole drop box thing. Yeah. Right. Which prior to this law was nowhere in the Georgia law at all. They had no drop boxes. Yeah. They had no drop boxes. Well, and this is the thing. It's so they're like, adding a framework for having drop boxes. They're sitting there in Seattle, almost all vote by mail. Mm-hmm. Right. We're here in, there really weren't drop boxes at all. Right. The only reason you needed a drop box is for an absentee ballots and absentee ballots were a tiny, tiny percentage. It literally was, I'm not going to be in the state on election day. Oops, I better get an absentee ballot. So that was one. And then uh, other restrictions on absentee ballots. It goes into this whole thing on, and restrictions on provisional ballots. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Right? <laughs> this isn't a vote by mail state. Right. This is a vote at a polling place state. Now, if you want to say that everybody should get rid of polling places. And okay, everyone vote by mail. And yeah. everybody vote by mail. Okay. Let's have the, that the, debate. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and that's a Georgia thing. That's, that's another thing is it, it works in Oregon. It, it, we are in a vast minority of states. If you take up, if you poll all the states, I don't know what it is, but it's probably, 4010 or something like that vote by mail I think we well here's here's another comment on vote by mail um, I looked it up on the way down here just before I left but the state of Oregon in the 2020 election discarded almost 17,000 ballots for mismatched signatures or unsigned ballots yeah so I mean 17,000 votes were cast that were not counted mm-hmm. and you can say one of one of two things is true either one those are fraudulent ballots someone voting on behalf of someone else, and they missed the signature. And so there were 17,000 cases of fraud in Oregon. Or the other thing is uh, those were valid ballots that were not counted. It was one of those two things. Either they're valid or they're not. They were discarded either way. And I'm not sure which is worse. Whether they were... <laughs> if you're, there are valid ballots that were not counted because right. they missed a signature or, you know, I don't know, broke their hand and couldn't sign properly. Or if they were fraudulent. And I'm, I'm sure they probably weren't fraudulent. I don't think that... People are out there thinking, hey, if I submit one extra ballot, it's going to make a difference to <laughs> to move the election in, in whatever favor. But this is, these are probably legitimate ballots that were either unsigned or something was wrong with the signature and they were discarded. Well, we so went, I think that's a problem. We've been through that here was um, my daughter was in another state. She actually received a ballot in that state and a ballot in Oregon. Yeah. Right? Um, we, she wanted to vote in Oregon, but she couldn't sign the ballot. So she couldn't vote in Oregon. She had to vote in California. So she ended up voting in California. But <clears throat> our systems are so um, heterogeneous that if you move from here to Deschutes County and you register in Deschutes County, you will probably still get a ballot here and one in Deschutes County. Mm -hmm. Um, If you buy a house in Deschutes County and you register in Deschutes County, you'll receive a ballot here and you'll receive a ballot in Deschutes County because we don't have 
even in Oregon, there's not a universal voter registration. Mm-hmm. Um, and the counties don't, don't always share all the information necessary to match James A. Ball, date of birth, social, you, they don't have your social security number. It's your right. James A. Ball and date of birth. Name and date of birth. Yeah. And address. So I've been a proponent of a national voter registration ID hmm. that you get a number. We all have social security numbers. Most of us do, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you get a national ID number, and then 16461-6163 is registered in Oregon. Yeah. If that number tries to register in California, it deletes the Oregon registration and adds it in California. Well, I think that's one of the things that the Georgia law was trying to do also is having you write your uh, driver's license number on the – if you get a provisional ballot, you write your driver's license number on the ballot. In, right. And that way they can keep track and make sure you're not getting a ballot in two different counties. Right. So that was another another reason for requiring a, a government-issued ID. And again – Everybody's got a government issued ID. If they didn't, well, that's a problem and we need to fix it. But nobody's trying to fix it, which tells me there's probably not a problem. Right. Well, in, in Massachusetts, when we used to go vote, we'd sign the voter book. Hmm. You know, in little Stowe, Massachusetts, you'd go in and you'd sign the voter book and they'd give you a ballot and you'd go into a little booth and you'd fill out your ballot and then you'd take your ballot over and you'd stick it into a box. And there was a crank on the side of the box. And this box is some, you know, oak box that was made in, you know, 1799 yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And there's a little old guy that's been sitting there since 1799. And he'd turn a crank and your ballot would get sucked into the box. And when your ballot went in, then a bell would ring. Mm. And it was this very satisfying sort of uh, theatrical thing that you'd go through. That, that made you really think about how important voting is and what an honor it is. Now, mm-hmm. it, w- it was inefficient, and you had to go to the polling place, and there's overhead associated with doing that. I think vote by mail is a better way of, of doing it. I think eventually we'll vote by electronics. Yeah. Well, but it's much easier to verify your ID yeah, on, totally. by, by your phone, whether it's <laughs> yeah. face ID or a thumbprint or... You know, some oh, totally. phone number. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways. You, you use your Apple ID to, to vote. Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> well, and your generation and certainly your children's generation will probably do that, right? Yeah. It'll yeah. be in your lifetime and your children will be the ones that'll yeah. go, Mom, you're so lame, Yeah. right? I can't believe I can I can give grandma and grandpa an excuse. I can let them off the hook, but I can't let you off the hook, right? Well, I think yeah, and and there's just the concern with using signatures as a way to validate ballots. Just seems like again, 17,000 were <laughs> discarded. Um more than likely those were valid ballots that were that were um that were submitted in good faith by registered voters. And for whatever reason, their signature didn't match or they forgot to sign it, you know, and we're, we, so this whole idea of one person, one vote, well, there's 17,000 people in Oregon who didn't get that opportunity, probably. And this is, this is also why, I mean, people have theories on voting early and voting late. Voting early allows you to vote and make sure your vote got cast because you can go online and check it. Yes. And I, but who does that? I I mean, I I did, I didn't do that. Because I'm I, the nerdy. I did not. I'm the nerd <laughs> trained as an engineer. No, I, I, it's a, I go out and check and I check my wife and it's like, yep, they're there. I know you can. I just have never done it because. Yeah. It, it, well, you can also do it. <laughs> it's a little too late. You can do it if you vote at the end. You can do it after the election and see whether you voted or not. We've got to take a break and we're going to come right back. We're going to talk about some. We'll probably talk about the Georgia election law some more <laughs> since it's so fun. And get into some of the other events of the week. Thanks for joining us. This is Allie and Pacero with our friend James Ball. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with our friend James Ball. We're talking about the Georgia elections. And one of the things that we brought up off air, um, if you're watching on Facebook, which you can at between 8.30 and 9 o'clock every Sunday, um, if depending, depending on, on <laughs> how long it takes us to get the audio working. <laughs> Which we're working on. Um, 
But one of the things on the Georgia election law that surprises me, and it hasn't been covered, is that in the law, they actually create a nonpartisan commission to oversee um, laws, uh, oversee the election process in Georgia. Right. The Republican legislature and the Republican Secretary of State yeah. decided that they were going to give up power over the elections and create this nonpartisan right. board. So is it going to be slanted toward Republicans? Yes. At least initially, it will be. Okay. But what I say to my friends here, imagine if the Democratic legislature in Oregon, with a supermajority in both houses and a Democratic Secretary of State, just said... You know what? We want transparency on our elections. We're going to set up an independent commission. And there's all kinds of rules, like the chairman of the commission can't, couldn't have held us a, a um, elective seat, couldn't have donated to a campaign for two years, couldn't have worked actively. And I mean, it's pretty explicit. Yeah. On how nonpartisan this person is. Well, but it doesn't fit the narrative. And this, this is what <laughs> I was saying on the break. Like, the the Democrats control the media. They control the narrative. What you're hearing is all of these, quote unquote, negative things about the bill, which we've just demonstrated like three or four of them are just completely false, completely misrepresented. The president of the United States is parroting talking points that are completely and utterly untrue. And, you know, I mean, talk about Trump all you want. But again, Biden was supposed to be different. Biden was supposed to be returned to normalcy. And no, he's just continuing to lie to the American people and parrot these talking points that, that are, have been demonstrated to be untrue. And so all of the good things in the bill, the things that are, that are objectively take power away from Republicans, that make things nonpartisan, that make things more fair, don't fit the narrative. And so they don't make it in the media. Right. So another one of these things that's in the bill that nobody ever talks about. The attorney general shall have the authority to establish a telephone hotline for the use of voters in the state for complaints, allegations, voter intimidation, illegal elections, activities, such hotline shall, in addition, it goes on and on and on talking about this voter hotline. Yeah. So if you're being intimidated or you think that there's, right. there's funny business going on with the election, right. you have a state-sponsored hotline to call. Right. Yeah. Uh, Isn't a, a that good a good thing? thing? Objectively, a good thing. <laughs> I would think that would be a good thing, and I think that would that. But it would... doesn't fit the narrative, and and this is like I I understand why there is so much rage <laughs> on the conservative side of the aisle is because you see this year after year after year is the Democrats own the narrative. They keep spinning things in a way that makes Republicans look at, at to be to be racist or whatever. I mean that, that that's what this is called. They're calling it a Jim Crow law, and and the Georgia Republicans are the ones who did it. And therefore, if you're a Georgia Republican or, you know, a, a Republican in general, you must be racist because of these X, Y, and Z. But X, Y, and Z are not true. So the whole premise is is founded on on lies and deceit. And uh, it just... But you repeat something enough times and people start to believe it because well, they don't actually read the law. They just read the commentary on the law. And the disappointing thing for me is Major League Baseball, Delta mm -hmm. Airlines, Microsoft. Microsoft. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. nobody will stand up and say, could we step back for a moment and, and look at no, this? No, because they'll get canceled. I mean, they'll look at, this is, this is, uh, my wife watches The Bachelor and Chris Harrison got in, oh, like, right. lost his job because he basically did that. One of, one of the girls on the show, um, attended, I think we maybe even talked about it on yeah. here before, uh, attended a, um, a plantation party or like a, an antebellum party in, in Georgia. And she was 20 and didn't think about it. And yeah, that, is, that is an offensive thing to do and she shouldn't have done it. Um, but she's now she's 23 and didn't like legitimately did not recognize that, that there was, that there's a problem. Right. Um, she now knows that it's a problem thanks to the Twitter mob. But Chris Harrison, basically, who's the host of the show, basically got on Twitter and was like, Hey guys, let's take a step back. Um, people make mistakes. We need to have, we need to give people room to grow as human beings. Not everyone was born perfect. Not every, everyone has a different upbringing, has a different culture. And, uh, he lost his job. Yeah. He lost his job over it. I like no one's going to stand up against this who has, who has significant things to lose. You know, I mean, you and I are sitting here. I mean, I got a small business, but I don't know that anybody's going to be like James Ball is is making making comments about the Georgia election. I'm just not going to do his use his garage door business. No, the uh, <laughs> the, the thing is that you and I um, 
at some point in time in the past and maybe at some point in time in the future will run for office again. Yeah. Right. And, but if I ever ran for office, I want people to bring up that I spoke out on the Georgia election uh, law. Fair. Right. Fair. And, and I, I, you want, know, the truth may come out in the end and I, people I may say, Hey, this was like debate. a, yeah. Okay. Right. I want to be able to defend those positions and say, no, this isn't right. But what they'll do is they'll clip something, they'll stick it on Twitter and then Twitter will just do what and, Twitter does. And if, if that happens, uh, I, I'm glad to deal with that because I, I really want, I, I want to be, you know, set any example. I don't want to say that because it, it, it draws too much attention to me, but I want to be somebody that speaks out and honestly expresses themselves and thoughtfully thinks about these things and, and engages in conversations with people about it. That's this is, the whole point. This is what I love about the podcasting medium is you can have these conversations and it's not 160 characters on Twitter. It's, you know, you can have thoughtful discussions and have this back and forth and dig deep into these topics and explore the nuances because the, the, the narrative that fits into 160 characters does not no. match reality. And no, so. it, it doesn't. I'm, in fact, I'm going to do one of these when, uh, uh, I want to do at least an hour. It'll probably be two on the public employee retirement system work that I've done and do mm -hmm. it with all the slides and everything and take people through it. And, you know, I'm not going to get a bunch of people to sit down and watch the whole thing, but it's a discussion that needs to happen. Yeah. And a, f a handful of thoughtful people engaging and, and asking questions and asking questions of their government yeah, is what yeah. I'm trying to achieve. PERS is another great example of the democratic narrative just running with, they just say it's not a problem. <laughs> you know, they say, Oh, don't worry about PERS. It's not a problem. We'll take care of it. It'll, it'll, ha it'll fix itself in 60 years or however long. Uh, just don't worry about it. Right. And that's the narrative because in order to counter that narrative, you have to dig deep into these numbers and very few people have the patience. So, you know, thank you for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, the information is publicly available, but it's, it's really dense. It's <laughs> and, really dense. And you have to be like, have a lot of background in, in finance and to, to understand what it is. And I mean, pension accounting. Oh. Any, who knows? I mean, I, I took classes on this, but accounting for pensions is not an easy thing to do. No. So. And it's, it's one of the most complex sort of Rubik's Cube mind bending things to get your head around that I've ever gone but through. But if you're a Democrat, all you have to do is say, don't worry about it. It's not right. a problem. You know? <laughs> and the economy will grow. The economy will grow. We'll take care of it. And, uh, and that's it. Um, yeah. So we've got to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to get into some of these other things. I want to get into uh, Portland wants unarmed park rangers to help reduce gun violence. I mean, just saying it, it's... it's Hashtag a, defund the police. Right. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Ali and Pacero with her friend James Paul. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349. 6349 or slash portland Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with our friend James Ball. We were just off air and, and James said, um, <laughs> this is such an absurd news story. It, it, it has to be fake or it should be fake. And, but it's not. <laughs> no. And that's the thing. There was that show Portlandia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And oh, people. Yeah. People from all over the country would, would say to me, Hey, I watch Portlandia. What do you think of it? I'd say, I don't, it, it's, it's too close yeah. to it's, reality. It's satire, but it's like this, this could be a, a Portlandia sketch. Yes. Yeah. And, and it was, so I went to, um, I'll have to change names to protect the innocent. 
I went to a presentation in downtown Portland a few years ago where an investment group here was having their CEOs present their annual sort of update to investors. So these were a bunch of private investors that were sitting there, mostly um, individuals, and they had their CEOs dress up in costumes. One guy came out dressed up as a cow. One guy came out dressed up in a dress. One, And as I'm watching this, and this is supposed to be your annual sort of presentation right. to your investors, probably the most formal presentation you give in the entire year. And it absolutely could have been an episode on Portlandia. <laughs> right? Right, right. A guy walks out in a cow costume with the inflator to make the back of it, yeah. like, you yeah. know, and it's like, eeeh, and he gives his presentation that way. And we don't understand how much of a joke that is and how bad it makes us look to uh, communities where we're trying to get them to invest in our in our state. So here's one. The, the Portland City Council, right? Mm -hmm. And what did it get voted on? Yeah, City Council unanimously passed $6 million plan. They did this. Um, and they're going to add unarmed park rangers to help reduce gun violence. So a couple of things. One... I didn't know that there was a lot of gun violence in the parks. It it, it seems like most of it is um, gang-related gun violence in some of the neighborhoods. The second one is, then the park rangers came back and said they want body armor. <laughs> right. And it's like... Well, this... I mean, what, so... Are, are you... We have sufficiently defunded the police in Portland where now gun violence is going crazy. Catalytic converter thefts are on the rise. Vandalism and destruction of property. I mean, ever since the riots, you go downtown and everything's boarded up. It's still boarded up. I think the Apple store just reopened. Yeah. Um, you, you live know, downtown, spray paint. Right? I live downtown. Yeah. yeah. And so like the, the petty crime and serious crime is, is just on the rise in Portland. And, you know, coincidentally, it's right when we decided to defund the police. And so now we have this problem of escalating crime, but the city council cannot go back to their constituents and give money back to the police to fix the problem. Um, <laughs> right. So they, so they do it to park rangers. They say, Hey, park rangers, by the way, you're now deputized as fake police. You're going to be unarmed. Uh, you're going to have to go do the police's job for them because the police doesn't have enough money. And, uh, the, <laughs> then the, the park rangers say, well, give us body armor so that well, we can. And the, the really, <laughs> another bizarre twist on this is I think it was Joanne Hardesty said recently, police don't prevent crime. They solve crimes mm. and but park rangers right. do right. prevent crime right no well police are a deterrence of you course know? they are yeah. you know maybe it doesn't prevent a crime but it prevents the next crime when the first guy gets caught well and as a little kid right getting into mischief that i probably shouldn't have been getting into um our fear was that the police were going to show up, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the police showing up, we were like climbing in houses that were under construction that we weren't supposed to be in, sure. right? And the police would drive by and we'd go, geez, it, the cops! And everybody <laughs> would run and go hide, right? It was a deterrent. It's absolutely a deterrent. Yeah. I don't know how you could say it isn't a deterrent. But, you know, after the riots, after all the pressure on the city council to defund the police, they can't they can't then turn around and say, hey, police, go handle this problem. Because the police are going to be like, yeah, give us more money. We, we can barely staff our uh, police cars with uh, all the cuts you've given us. Um, we can't do it. So it's just, uh, it, yeah. So now instead of, <laughs> instead of, you know, maybe homelessness services or these nonviolent things being taken care of by non-police, non-uniformed police, which is, I think, was part of the intent of the movement was, you know, you're going to have social workers going to deal with somebody who's high with a, a needle rather than a police officer with a gun. Um, 
now we're having violent offenders <laughs> being tackled by unarmed park rangers. So it's the opposite of what no, what the intent gonna, was, no, and it, no. it's it's not going to work. It's going to be no. And who would volunteer to be a park ranger? Right. Oh, and the police are all leaving. So my my uncle uh, spent thirty years in Portland Police. Uh, he retired ten years ago or so, and he was um, down in Grants Pass with us this this weekend. And oh, he was with Portland's police. Portland Police. Yeah, yeah. yeah Portland Police from eighty five to two thousand five, I think ish, yeah. is when he when he was in Portland Police. And so he's still connected to those guys. And he's like, yeah, the, the retirements are through the roof. Like we can't hire anybody. Um, Portland police aren't hiring anyone. Uh, anybody who can get a job anywhere else is doing so. Um, nobody wants to be a, a, a cop in Portland anymore. Why would you? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who would do it? No respect. You're not getting backing from city council. You're, you're overworked and underpaid. Yeah. I, I don't blame them. No, I mean, it's a very serious question. Who would volunteer to be a Portland police officer now? Yeah. I, I, and, I can't. Well, this, this what's is your pitch. Yeah. Well, th- your- this is, I think this is part of the problem is the people who would still want to be police officers want to go, uh, beat people's heads in. They want to be police officers because that's their, that's the, they get a thrill out of that, out of being powerful and being able to, to exert that power on less powerful. And so you're going to, when you demonize the police like this, the only people who are going to apply for it are the ones who get something else out of it. They don't want to serve and protect. They want to lord power over people. So you're going to make the problem worse, I think. I can't, I, I, I can't imagine who would volunteer to do that now. Yeah. And my whole thing has been that, you know, you go into the communities of, of color, you go into the areas where, People are really hurting, and young people in neighborhoods are killing each other. And let let the parents, let the let the pastors, let the let the the community leaders tell you what do they want to do. Not not a bunch of white guys sitting in Lake Oswego, or <laughs> yeah, or a bunch of city councilors sitting in their marble sarcophagus <laughs> but but real community leaders in these communities that are hurting so what are the tools that you need to move forward and most of the tools that could be provided are money right mm-hmm. so what is the money that you need rather than these external things i saw a uh, an article about building affordable housing and one of the things that I read was that you were going to have to use what's called the prevailing wage. And are you familiar with the prevailing wage? Yeah, basically, but. So it's, it's a concept to, uh, where they calculate a wage that you have to pay people if there is government money in a mm-hmm. project or program. And we've got to take a break. We'll get back and we'll talk about the prevailing wage. Think about what the prevailing wage for somebody that puts up drywall should be. And I actually looked it up, so I'll be able to tell you. This is Ali and Pacero with our friend James Ball. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball. We segued into the prevailing wage, and the reason this came up is if you're building affordable housing and your affordable housing has government money, you are required to pay the prevailing wage. And the prevailing wage, I don't know what the history exactly is, but it was basically what's a wage that you have to pay that is um, prevailing in the community for a certain job. Sure. So I looked up drywall. Okay. What would you imagine that that the prevailing wage that you'd have to pay for somebody to put up drywall is? Uh, 18 an hour. 60 bucks an hour. 60 Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. For drywall. Yeah. So, 
and imagine what plumbers are. Yeah. What electricians are. Right. How do they? How do they are. get? How do they get to sixty dollars an hour for drywall? How, well, how do you even calculate that? That, that no, someone... it's not based on. It's not based on the prevailing rate anymore. It's, it's just. It's just a number. It's just a number that that the unions have put together. Um. Huh. Now, so what that means is, you can't build affordable housing. If you've had to pay those labor rates to build the affordable housing, it's right. not affordable. Right. Right. So you, you end up with a Bud Clark Commons, which is the yep. example that cost over a thousand dollars a square foot to build. Wow. Well, if it cost a thousand dollars a square foot to build, you'd have to charge ridiculously high rents, but you can't. So then you have to subsidize the rents. So affordable becomes unbelievably unaffordable the greatest way to fix this is let the developers build luxury condos luxury condos in the pearl district wherever they like cut the red tape let them build whatever they want they're going to get their cut and then now the luxury condos from 10 or 12 or 15 years ago suddenly become somewhat less desirable than the new ones prices drop and that continues down the food chain so that you now your, your middle market stuff becomes low income because all the middle market people can now afford to move up to what were, were luxury condos 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And, and this is how the system works. Oh, the way to fix affordable housing is more housing. It doesn't matter what kind of housing, luxury, low income, middle income, anything, more housing will drive prices down across the board and will fix this problem. Oh, Not James more. Ray. You no. <laughs> trickle down Republican. You you just build more housing for the wealthy, and somehow that's going to trickle down. You cut the regulation. The you, you don't. Yes. You, don't, you no, get the government right. out of it entirely. Cut you're the red tape. Right. Cut the red tape. Let the market decide what needs to be built. And if that's more luxury condos, it will like the prices will trickle down as soon as supply outpaces demand. Your prices will drop. That is economics 101. Well, and we've created this artificial limitation. It's called the urban growth boundary. Right. That surrounds each of our major metropolitan areas and even some of our non-major metropolitan areas. And it has severely restricted the amount of land. And I won't get these numbers exactly right. We should probably do a whole show on this. But when... The urban growth boundary in the Portland metropolitan area was created in uh, 1970-whatever it was. Uh, the density was, call it, um, 30 people per acre or something. I, I, don't, I don't remember what the number is. The density now is 300 people per acre, some much denser much number. Much denser, yeah. Yep. And what I've asked people is what do you want it to be what is the density number because if you could set a density number and say it's 500 okay well then once we hit 500 then we we'll expand. expand the the perimeter to to balance that out but i think the answer really is we want it to be as high as we can possibly make it yeah I've, I've said the same thing to my Democratic friends about taxes. It's like, what percentage of the GDP of the country and the state do you want managed by the government? As high as possible, usually. That's the answer. Yeah. Well, well it, when you get up near those very high numbers, you transition from capitalism to communism. Yeah. And, and, and that's the that's the thing. There's a gray area of zero percent managed by the government in a pure market, pure capital, and a hundred percent managed by the government in communism. And you transition in the sort of seventy, eighty percent range into socialism is in there somewhere, and then you go to communism. Yeah. But that's where I've said I said pick a number, and if we could if we could pick a number and then work to that number. And it's been rising over time. Yeah. And well, back, back to the housing thing. Another thing, another issue. Again, it's, this is red tape and regulation. So you can get affordable, high density housing if you allow things to be 
if you allow smaller units with less amenities. And I mean, we're talking, I mean, we're not, this is an ex- an, a very extreme example. And I'm not saying that this is a good idea, but, um, places like, uh, I want to uh, Philippines or, or yeah. whatever, they have basically it's a bed. Mm-hmm. You know, you can rent a bed and in a room with a dozen other people for pennies. And so this is what the, the working poor do is they, they, for pennies, rent a shoebox to live in, a communal bathroom, communal kitchen, and then they can live close to their work. They don't have to commute and whatever. And so what we have is we have, you know, regulations and stipulations of the size of units and what amenities, you know, you need to have a private, a right. private bathroom, private kitchen. And so, uh, like I said, I don't want to go to the extreme of you can, you can get a, you know, three foot wide by seven foot long bed. Uh, and that's, that's it. Right. But if you reduce some of that regulation, you can get much higher density housing and just let the market decide what the rate should be. Well, Portland solved this problem. Oh, they did. And they, yeah. The city that works. Yes. And, and they have very, very, very affordable minimal housing. It's called urban camping (laughs) and they're allowing it everywhere. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly what they did. They yeah. said, okay, you want to live cheap. All that extra little land that we have in between freeways and on-ramps and that kind of stuff, that's not really being used for anything. Why don't you just go hang out over there? Right. Right? In the name of compassion. That's, right. that's what it's we're doing. Not, it, it's not a solution. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. We could provide entry-level affordable housing you can't if the guy's putting up the drywall are making 60 bucks an hour yeah you, you can't I, get there from here i know 23 year old college educated tech workers who would probably sign up for something like what i just what i just uh described because yes. i mean for you know 80 bucks a month you get a bed in <laughs> yeah. downtown portland no. i mean why not you're not spending any time there anyway <laughs> you know right. you're you're out in the pearl district having dinner you're out goofing off with friends um and you're maybe paying down some student loans, paying off some credit card debt. Uh, why not? Right. You know? No, and I noticed a trend in Portland of smaller and smaller apartments, mm-hmm. right? That, that the, that the, um, studio apartments are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And you don't have to provide parking anymore because you can't provide parking because it's right. basically been outlawed. But the rents are still Exorbitant. The rent didn't go down. The square footage just shrunk. Yeah. And so, um, you could absolutely do it. But there's, that's the demand problem. You know, there's, there, if you allow more housing, those are the yeah. first ones that are going to drop in rent because as soon as you're in, when you're in a 300 square foot studio <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden you can move to a 700 square foot studio for the same price, right. you're going to, you're going to do it and everybody's going to leave these 300 square foot studios and guess what now you have low-income housing supply side trickle down i know republican economist i want you have no compassion (laughs) no compassion for people this is ali and pacero with our friend james ball we're going to be back for one final segment on this beautiful sunday thanks for joining us welcome back to ali and pacero with our friend james ball we're going to continue on the scintillating topic of supply side trickle down <laughs> economics. <laughs> I I had an, a discussion with somebody on Reddit recently, and uh, you know, thoughtful Democrat. And I like I like discussing with thoughtful yeah. Democrats. I don't I don't like discussing with unthoughtful Democrats because it's just a waste of time. But um, this guy was was uh, I assume it's a guy anyway as a username. Um, but we're talking about supply side economics, and his statement was. All that's happened from capitalism is that the rich get richer. You get these billionaires and the middle class stays the same. You know, the median wage is hardly raised at all and, and, you know, throws out all these statistics, which are, which are all true. And my point was we still get like trickle down economics works. It just doesn't work in the way that you think it does because compare today to the 1970s. We have the internet. We have two day shipping from Amazon. We have a cell phone in your pocket. We have, you know, Microsoft, Google, all of these innovations have taken place. Your life is infinitely easier than it was in 1970. And all of that happens from innovation that took place in our capitalist society. So, I mean, if you don't have 
if you have if you have this socialist you uh place where billionaires are not allowed to exist you also don't get elon musk and you don't get tesla you don't get spacex you don't get you know i mean facebook has its a lot of issues now but you don't have facebook because you don't have that incentive to go start that business right um there's another thing crenshaw brought up is uh in the the medical field and i i'm not as familiar with this so i don't want to speak out of turn but he's saying like one of the reasons that we we actually have great healthcare in America for rare uncommon diseases because you can you have access to the best cutting edge technology like yeah if you need elbow surgery it's going to cost you more and it's you know if you don't have insurance you're kind of out of luck and you you would be better off in in Canada or you know someplace with socialized medicine for common routine um transit things but if you've got a disease that a hundred people in the world have had you can't get treatment in Canada because they don't have access to the same drugs. They don't have access to the same physicians. They don't have access to the same research that we do here in the United States. And so, uh, yeah, trickle down economics works. It just doesn't in the last 50 years, it hasn't really manifested in the way of your bottom line, but it has manifested in how easy your life is and the quality of life and life expectancy and all of these other things that, are, are tangible, but they're just not money. Well, and I think, you know, in my own life, when my dad went to work for Boeing, he was an engineer, graduated from Michigan, so good engineering school, had a good degree, went to work for Boeing. Um, in the 19, it was probably the late 1950s, um, we had one car, and I remember taking the bus with my mom to go shopping. Hmm. And... He's he's an engineer. Now, I don't think any Boeing engineer working today, um, that uh, unless it's by choice, ours was not by choice, ours was by necessity, is riding the bus to go shopping, taking, you know, bundling your kid up and putting him on the bus to go shopping. And I remember mom budgeting out the food every week about what we could eat and, you know, it's chicken on this night and then we... You know, the pork's on sale on Tuesday, and then we'll have leftovers on Thursday, and then we'll have hamburgers on Friday, or whatever. I remember those, and it, we were firmly, we were upper, upper middle class Mm. at that time, right? Yeah. And people don't realize how, how good a vast number of people have it today. Have we gotten completely through it? And you know, is is everything rosy? No, right. There, there are absolutely ways to improve. Yeah, absolutely ways to improve. Um, another thing that people don't really talk about when they say a billionaire should be outlawed is all of the good work done by billionaires. Oh. You know, I mean, the Gates Foundation in Africa has vaccinated four million children. Um, they they're working on clean water. They're looking on at uh, affordable contraceptives for you know the the quality of life in the poorest places of the world has increased drastically in a large part due to people like bill gates and warren buffett who are using their their money and their position to make the world a better place and okay i'm sorry that you know if you're making 40 grand a year you didn't get any of that billionaire money but (laughs) the the people who really need it in africa are getting it well, and, and your life's a lot easier. And working for a car company, I can tell you, they make all of their money on the most expensive vehicles. Hmm. So, so um, Mercedes makes all their money on their top line vehicles. But let's look at Chevrolet. Chevrolet makes all their money on Corvettes and Suburbans, right? Uh, and trucks. Um, that allows them to subsidize the little cars. Mm-hmm. And so the the when I worked at Ford, we had the, the Ford Pinto, unfortunately, and we had, <laughs> we had the, the, uh, the Lincoln Mark V. I remember this comparison. And the difference in cost to build the Lincoln Mark V over the Pinto was something like 10%. Hmm. But we got um, five times the price for the Lincoln that we got for the Pinto. So... Because there were people that were able to afford the Lincoln, it made the Pintos affordable. 
if if it wasn't for the Lincolns, you would have had to charge two or three times as much for the Pintos. And guess what? Everybody's riding in buses, and only the the rich are driving around in Pintos. And honestly, that's the way a lot of things work. I just go back to my time on on the HOA for my building. Um, our HOA payments were were calculated based on square footage. So the people in the penthouses were paying three, yeah. three times as much as the people in in the the little um, the little units. And every once in a while, someone would complain. They're like, "I don't use three times as much, uh, you know, natural right. gas. I don't use three times as much electricity, or maybe electricity, but right. well, electricity is separate because that wasn't part of the HOA. But it's like I don't use three times as much of the common areas. Why am I paying three times as much? And that's exactly the the yes. reason is because otherwise, no one could afford." The other units, and right. guess what? In the in the building, the penthouse, you can't have a penthouse without the floors underneath. <laughs> yeah, right. So if the floors underneath don't exist, you also don't have a penthouse. So um, th- this is this is common. Well, and the, the other thing that people don't understand: so uh, Gulfstream builds private jets, okay. right? It, it, it's the the highest end, most decadent, most uh graphic display of opulence are these private jets that Gulfstream builds. Some of the best engineering jobs in the country are at Gulfstream. Some of the best manufacturing jobs in the country are at Gulfstream. Why? Because they can charge far beyond what an, an average aircraft would cost because they are the peak of the peak of the peak, mm-hmm. which employs all these people having great, everybody down to the people that do the cleaning services at, at the Gulfstream that maintain the, the, uh, the uh, landscaping at the Gulfstream factory. That because we have people that are able to afford that, some of the best jobs in the country are, are at those countries, are at those companies. So, yeah, I'm absolutely. Can, can we do better? We can always. Do of course, better. yeah. Not saying that our system is perfect. It, there, there are always ways to tweak it and make it better. But to try to just take the entire thing and throw it out will ignore all of the great things that supply side economics and capitalism has has given to the middle class. Well, one one last thing, if you. If you're wondering whether we have it good, go on Google Earth. You can Google this. And I think it's Managua, Nicaragua, where there are um, the slums in Managua. Mm-hmm. And you can go on Google, and you can go on Google Street View, and you can walk around in the slums. And I would encourage you to do that because it makes the worst Portland homeless communities look like they're living in the Hilton. And the, the thing that we've got to remember is, can we do better? Yes. But are we already doing better than 99.9% of the rest of the world? Absolutely. And if we weren't, they wouldn't be trying to copy our economic system. Yep. So that's it for this week. This is Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball. Join us next Sunday at about the same time. Yeah, give or take. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. This has been Allie and Passero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Passero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.